Amen. We're going to be in uh, in the book of Hebrews today. Um, I will often be talking about you know the writer of the book of Hebrews because it's one of the it's it's the book in the Bible where we're not absolutely positive who who wrote it. Um, most attribute it to Paul. Some attribute it to Luke. Um, we know that toward the end of Hebrews. Uh, Timothy is referred to as my brother Timothy. So we know it's someone, you know, those in relationships. So um, so when I say the writer of of Hebrews, I'm not being um, I'm not being cold toward the writer. Like, why don't why why you gotta refer to him in such a cold way? I, I, I just don't know that person's name. So it'll be the writer of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is written with as much boldness as any other book in the Bible. The words on those pages are bold. The way that they are delivered are bold. This this book makes bold statements. And if you don't believe me, then simply read chapter 5, where the writer says, there's so much more I'd like to say to you, but you're dull. You're dense. You don't listen. Proceeds to write more and talk more. So I'm like, shouldn't that have ended the book? Shouldn't that have been where Hebrews ended? With him going, I want to say more, but I can't because you're dull and you're spiritually dull and you don't listen. And then the next book <laughs> begins. But there's still like 11 more chapters after that. So, But this book is written to the church. First and second generation of the church. A church that is struggling in identity. A church that is used to the traditions and the ways of Judaism and of the ways that they were brought up and they were used to the, the former leaders and to, to really like praising leaders. It was all about Moses. It was all about Joshua. It was all about Abraham. And the writer is saying, no. It is all about Jesus. Hebrews reveals and declares with boldness the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Good messenger, God's messenger, our priest, yes. But quite simply and quite emphatically and boldly, Jesus is God. Jesus is not just simply a messenger or a priest, but He is God. He is the supreme authority. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than tradition. He is greater than religion. He is greater than forefathers. He is greater than church leaders. He is great. He is greater than any priest. Greater than Moses. Greater than Joshua. Jesus is the complete representation of and revelation of God. This is what is being written here. This is what's being emphatically written. There's boldness to what's being said. Friends, the time to be bold about this message has not passed us by. In a day and age where Jesus is often acknowledged again as good, as a messenger, as a deliverer, as a prophet, as something good, it's a a lie of the enemy. He's not just something good. He is God. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven. So read this book and and keep this in mind as you're reading it. It's really powerful. So in the Old Testament, the high priest represented 
God's people before God. But after the work of Jesus, no more. Now Jesus is our perfect representative with God. The sacrifice of Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice which fulfilled all of the Old Testament Testament sacrifices and, and they represented the fullness of what God had in mind with those sacrifices. God's forgiveness. We are forgiven. Once and for all, we are forgiven. It represented the revelation of, the, of God through the person of Jesus Christ in perfect love, in power over sin, and in present grace. I love that last one. Present grace. Anytime we need grace, guess what? It's present. It's present in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's read Hebrews 3, and you'll see some of the things that I kind of gave foreshadowing to. So we're going to read Hebrews 3, 1 through 4. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. I think what he's saying right here is, Hey, give thought to Jesus, guys, who we merely refer to as God's messenger, who we merely refer to as our high priest. Give careful thought to who he is. Verse 2, For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. What a bold thing to say to an audience full of Hebrew, uh, Jewish men and women. Moses is revered as the liberator who saved them from bondage, brought them out of Egypt. Moses, along with Abraham, is the leader that best represents their tradition, their history, their religion. And the writer of this book says this in verse 3 again, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself for every house has a builder but the one who built everything is God what's being said is this our religion our tradition tradition fiddler on the roof our religion our tradition was built by God we don't worship our, our religion. We don't, we, don't, we don't celebrate simply our religion. We don't celebrate simply that we are blank. We celebrate Jesus, the builder of our religion. That, that's what he's saying to them. It is not enough to say, what a great house. What a great religion. What a great faith we've, we've built. But to say, what a great builder. What a great savior. What a great Lord. He is the one we honor. He is the one we praise. He is the one we exalt. I mean, totally, I love the timing of this. What a great building. I love this building. 
What a great building. But we praise the one who built it, which was not you and I. We praise Jesus Christ who built this place. We don't worship religion. We worship Jesus. Verse 5. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Yes, everything is about Jesus. Our hope is found where in this house? In this faith, in this religion, in these traditions? We can only be confident in hope in Jesus Christ. Everything else is shakable, right? Everything else is shakable. But Jesus is not. He is our rock. The writer of Hebrews is pressing the readers of this letter to give careful thought to who Jesus is. And I do the same today. Give careful and thoughtful action and thought to who Jesus is. How big he is. How great he is. How loving he is. How wide his grace extends. How short his memory is when it comes to our sin. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's cast our sin and the remembrance of our sin from us. Remember. Give thought to who he is. Jesus is the messenger of God. True. Jesus is the high priest. True. But above all, Jesus is God. Jesus is faithful. He served faithfully. He walked this earth faithfully. And He is fully trustworthy. That's what verse 2 says. Verse 3 says, Jesus is deserving of the highest praise and the highest glory above all men. Verse 4 says that Jesus is the builder of everything, especially His church. And the writer of Hebrews is making a bold statement. Christ is better. Christ is better. Hey, I love our traditions. Christ is better. I love our leaders. Christ is better. I love Christian books. Christ is better. I love Christian movies. Christ is better. You, you can't say, hey man, how was your day? Oh, it was incredible. I spent the whole day with God. What'd you do? I watched three Christian movies and read half a Christian book. And Christ is better. You had a pretty good day, but Christ is better. He has to be glorified as God. Jesus is a better leader than Moses. That's what this writer is saying. I love the but. Kind of building up Moses a little bit. Then there's a but. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Moses was a servant. And he was faithful as a servant. But Jesus is faithful as what? As a son. That's what this passage says. Moses was faithful as a servant. But Jesus, faithful as a son. 
He rules the courageous. He rules the hopeful, the confident, and the faithful house of God. That's what verse 6 says. We just covered six verses in Hebrews 3 that is bold with every word about who Jesus is. That passage, that last one we read, brings to point an interesting contrast. Servants versus sons. Servants versus sons. And I want to say that that I, I, not one of them is bad, but one is clearly better. Okay? I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not here to badmouth the servant. I'm not here to badmouth Moses. Servant. It's good. Son. It's best. What's the difference? A servant merely does what they're asked to do, or usually told to do. That's what a servant does, what they're told to do. Do A, B, and C, and stick to A, B, and C when you run out, then do A B again, do B again, do C again. Stick to that. That's, that's what a servant does. Like I said, not bad. What does a son do? Oh my gosh, where, where, does it, where does it start? Where does it end? A son brings rest to the house. A son brings in constant encouragement and exhortation to the house is what the, the word says. He exhorts. He brings rest. The son looks and says, yeah, this stuff needs to be done, but, but this is my house. This is all mine. I get to affect all of this. I get to empower people. I get to bring people alongside of me. I get to rest with people. This is all mine. The servant is worried about what doesn't get done or perhaps doesn't get done right. The son says, all of this is mine. And, and we'll, we'll get done what gets done, but we're going to do so with joy. And we're going to do so with rest. And we're going to do so with peace. And I'm not worried about the wrath of a master because I know the love of my father. Does that make sense? Verse 13 shows us that a son is opportunistic in exhorting a brother all day long. I love that. A son exhorts. A son encourages. It also tells us that a son warns a brother of, his brother of just how deceitful sin is. And then it also shows us that a son brings others into promise and rest in Christ Jesus. A son encourages courage. We had that message a while back. A son encourages courage. Be courageous. Be hopeful. Be confident. That's what a son does. Hearing those descriptions, anybody says, yeah, I'll take the servant route. Anybody say, no, I'm a son. It's not just that I want to be a son. I'm a son. That's me. I'm a son. It's all there in Hebrews 3. We're called to be sons and not merely servants. And the book of Galatians says the same thing. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent this, has sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Hebrews 3 ends with the theme of rest. Hebrews 4 begins with the theme of rest. Hebrews 4 continues talking about rest constantly. Rest. Not sleep. There's a difference. Rest. Rest. Not being inactive. But rest. There's a difference. When all this was done, I walked through this place. And I was active. And I looked at things, I'm like, oh. Got that done, got that done, got this done. And, and things were stirred within me, vision was stirred within me. But when push came to shove, I was restful. I'm like, yeah, things are done. Unfortunately, I was definitely late to the barbecue on that. I was definitely late to the barbecue on, on being restful in this. I'll get to that in a second. Let's read Hebrews 4. One through three together. I mean, not like out loud, but you know, at the same time. By the way, how do you know that there's there's coffee in heaven? Because the Bible says it's Hebrews. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Hebrews 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering His rest still stands. God's promise of entering His rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared His rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter His rest. You guys, God's rest is God's promise. God's rest is God's promise. When it talks about entering into His rest, it's talking about entering into His promise. It's talking about salvation. It's talking about the children of Israel in the promised land. It's talking about all of those things. But they all conclude the same way. Rest. And rest requires belief. Rest requires trust. The title of my message, it's kind of hard for me to pronounce. Trust rests. There's a lot of S sounds in there. Trust rests. I wanted to make it easier on myself, I could have said trust believes, but I was up for the challenge. Trust believes. Trust rests. Rest believes. 
when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus, this story is told in the Synoptic Gospels. It's told in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Same story. The disciples were in the boat with Jesus. A mighty storm came over them. They panicked. They freaked out while Jesus was doing what? Resting. He was, he was sleeping. He was resting. And when they woke him with panic and with fear, his response is the same in all three of the Gospels that list this story. He says, where is your faith? Where is your belief? Where is your trust? See, I was resting. Because I'm full of trust. I know we're going to get through this. I know what, I know what the promise is. I'm the fulfillment of the promise. We're making it through this. I believe, and so I can rest. Jesus was resting. The disciples didn't yet believe. So they all they saw was the turmoil of the winds. All they felt was just the uncertainty of the waves. And Jesus is like, if you trust, you'll rest. Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? And why aren't you at rest? Aren't those great questions? Why aren't you at rest? Mark, why aren't you at rest? Do you believe me? Do you believe me that I've got this? Do you believe me that, that, that I care about this church? Do you believe me that all this is the result of my provision? The Lord? Mark, why, why aren't you at rest? Why are you afraid? So church, I've repented of something and now I want to confess it before you. The Bible says confess your sins one to another so that you might be whole. Over the past several months, I did not take a Sabbath rest. It was rare that I took a day of rest. Why? Because I didn't trust. Well, sure you trusted. Mark, you're our pastor. Don't say you didn't trust. If you don't trust, we're all... In trouble. No, I, I didn't trust like I was supposed to. I didn't fully trust. I didn't. I trusted myself more. Well, if things got to, I even told people, told my wife, well, if things got to get done, I got to get there and do it. I got to get there to open up. I got to get there to unlock. I got to be there to set the example. I got to be there to lead, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't rest. This was in the face of the Lord constantly giving me words. Christine had a word that, hey, the Lord, the Lord says, you're like Noah, and she kind of expanded the word. And at the end of the word, she goes, Mark, do you know what the word Noah means? Anyone know what the word Noah means? Christine, what does the word Noah mean? You, you gave me the word. Rest. It means rest. What did I not do? Rest. I, I had friends. You know, I had, you know, Brad was like, Mark, you're not taking a day off. You're not resting. What's the result of that going to be? Friends, what was the result of that? It put stress on my family. It put stress on my marriage. I wasn't spending the time with, with the Lord that I should have been. So therefore, it put, it didn't bring the freedom to the church body that it should have. And I didn't take a day of rest. Saturday night would end. Sunday morning I'd be back here doing something, or I'd be planning to get back here and do something. I'd be going to Home Depot throughout whatever it was. There was no rest. I say I repented of it. I did. 
I did. You guys, that's sin. Anything that is not of faith is sin. That's what Romans 14 tells us. Anything that is not of faith is sin. And for me to think that there was some some responsibility on me that God didn't speak to me to do. See, at least God spoke to Noah and said, build the ark. You know, for me, he, he said, I, I've got this. I just jumped in and interfered. Friends, we have to walk our lives out in trust. And trust does not fear. Trust rests. Honoring the Sabbath rest, which is one of the Ten Commandments. And it's not just one of the Ten Commandments. It's spoken about. Read Hebrews 4. I I could stop short. Read Hebrews 4 and see how much it's talked about. It even talks about God rested in Hebrews 4. Honoring the Sabbath rest is very much like honoring the tithe. It's about what? It's about trust. It's about trust. If I don't trust God with my finances, I'm not going to tithe. If I don't trust God with my time, I'm not going to serve. If I don't trust God that His promises are true, I'm not going to rest. It's about trust. And if you, I, if if we don't trust God in any of these things, we're not going to rest either. you're a parent. Do we trust that I'm not just jacking up my kid's life? (laughs) Do I trust that that they're going to turn out okay? Do I trust that his mercies are new every morning and that even when I'm a bad dad that his mercies new and that they're they're here in life and that they're feeling love and that they're going to be okay because they're I'm raising them up in the ways of the Lord. Do we trust them or do we worry about that? Do we worry, oh my gosh, Lord, my kids, am I messing them up? Lord, am I doing enough? Or are we trusting God and going, Lord, you're, you're the one that loves my kids more than me. I trust you. Are we trusting the Lord in our marriage? Are we striving? Or are we resting together? This morning I was up early and and just spending time in prayer and spending time in the Word and thinking about my marriage. And Kara woke up and I, I had this great like blanket over me because it was still cold in the house and and she comes over to the couch I was sitting on and I said, "Come here, come here." And I just snuggled her up and sat her on my lap and and just just sat there with her for a while. Didn't have anything to say, but I'm like, let's just rest. And then she got up and got ready for this morning. Friends, we need to rest. I want you to know something. Um, I'm committed to taking a day of rest now. Last Monday, I shot Brad a text because Brad has been the most adamant about this. Like, you're not resting. You're not resting. I shot him a text and I'm like, guess what I'm doing? I'm like, I ain't doing jack. <laughs> It's going gonna, it's gonna to most likely be Mondays. But th- there'll be days where Monday isn't possible. So maybe I'll make it a Tuesday that week or something. But it'll be Mondays. And it might be Sunday at 6 to Monday at 6. And maybe Monday evening 
I check some emails or, I, you know, whatever. But, like, if, if, if it's my rest day and you're like, hey, Mark, I want to get together, I might ask a question like, is this restful? Is this brotherhood? Or is this ministry? Well, it's ministry. Let's do it the next day. Why? Because I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest. Because that's what... One of the ten, ten Commandments is also, like, you shall not commit adultery. Right? So, could you ever imagine me going, ah, I... I haven't been real good about that commandment, about not committing adultery, but I'm going to start this week probably. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous to, to encourage the body, hey, don't do this. But yet in my actions, that's what I did. So, so church, I, I confess, and to my God, I repent. And from my God, I have freedom and liberty and rest in this. So I just wanted to share it. I just wanted to be vulnerable with you guys on that. Maybe there's people here that haven't been trusting God either. And I want to encourage courage. That's what I want to do right now. I want to encourage courage. If you haven't been trusting the Lord and resting in that trust, then I want to encourage you to do so today. I mentioned trusting with our kids or trusting with our marriage, trusting with our finances or trusting Him with our time. But there's so many ways. Guys, we have to trust Him with our all. Because Jesus is Lord of what? He is Lord of all. And if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord of all. We are. Or someone else is. So I just want to ask you to do something. If if this message resonates to you, and, and this isn't one of those things where I want everyone to stand, because it might not be, that this might not be the place you're at, but if this if this resonates with you and you're like, yeah, I, I need to take a stand. I need to take a stand and say, I'm going to trust Jesus and I'm going to rest in Him. I'm going to trust Him for the outcome. I'm going to trust Him for the results. I'm going to trust Him for this. I just want you to stand up and I'm going to lead us in a prayer of grace that I'll be receiving even as I'm praying it. But if, if that's you and this resonates with you, that you are in a place where, yeah, I've... There's been a lot of fear. There's a lot of been a been a lot of distrust, and I just want to trust him. Um, could you just stand up where you are? So I'm going to pray, and we're just going to agree with God, and we're going to agree with His grace. We're going to agree with His love. We're going to agree with His power. And we're going to choose to to just be at rest in our trust of Him, okay? Dear Jesus, we acknowledge by this action of standing that we are placing our trust in You and we are choosing rest in You. Lord, Your Word says that Everything that is not of faith is sin. And Lord, we do not want to live our lives in any sort of sin. So Lord, we declare right now, fear, you have no place in my heart. Fear, you have no place in my mind. You have no place in my home. You have no place in my family. You have no place in my work. You have no place in my finances. 
and you have no place in my health. I give you no place, fear. You're an intruder and you're not welcome. And Lord Jesus, you're in the boat. You're in the boat. And I believe the promises over my life, the promises that come through life in you, abundant life. So I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fear the waves. I'm not going to fear the wind. I'm not going to fear the storms. Jesus, I trust you with the things that I thought I was supposed to control, that I thought I was supposed to be over, that I thought that I was supposed to be hands-on with, and you're saying, no, let me be hands-on with. So I trust you with those things. And Lord, I trust you with the things that I cannot control, the things that are beyond my control, and I trust you and your reports. So Holy Spirit, come now in grace. Come now in grace. What we need is the present grace of your love right now for this moment. Your fresh mercy. Just tell him. Just tell him, I rest in you and I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. want to leave us with this encouragement. Let's be sons. Let's be sons and not just servants. Let's bring others into the rest of Jesus Christ. Let's bring others into the encouragement of courage. Let's bring others into that place where we can say, I know it's heavy. But Jesus wants to lift that from you. You can trust him. Let's be sons. Amen.